you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Tonight, I want to take your attention to Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. I'm not sure how long I will be tonight. I will be as brief as possible with my remarks, but I want to do justice to what I feel the Lord is speaking to the church and what God is wanting to say to us tonight. Luke chapter 12 and verse 34, I'm going to read this one scripture tonight into your hearing. I'm not going to take a lot of time to read. I, I have an entire text that I could read in 2 Kings, but I'm choosing tonight rather to, um, to just paraphrase through the text that I'm going to be referring in 2 Kings, but I want to read in Luke chapter 12 and verse 34. I want you to read it out loud with me. I'm sure it's on the screen. Behind me, I want you to read it out loud with me so we all get this tonight. Ready? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So tonight, I am going to come with this angle on this lesson that I want to bring tonight. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where are your affections? Where are you pointing your attention? In counseling, I often talk to people as as we are approaching uh, marriage. I I appreciate the Lytles so very much have been stepping in trying to help us um, over the last year or so doing much of the, the premarital counseling. And um, I appreciate that just simply because um, my wife's inability to be able to um, be present at all the sessions and plus they're just doing a good job with it. Um, but I often talk about three things that you will never get back. And so it's important where we invest certain things in our lives. It is our treasure. And so it's so very important that we pay real close attention where we spend certain things. There's three things that I often mention that we must be very careful about where we spend, first of all, our time. Because you're never going to get time back. And so time is a great treasure. You cannot stop time. 
time is something that marches on. And so where you spend time, you're never going to regain it. You never truly make up time. I, every time I try to make up time on a trip, it usually ends with me sitting on the side of the road with red and blue lights flashing. You don't make up time. And you never get time back if you waste time. The Bible tells us not to squander time, not to waste time. That we're going to give an account for how we spend our time. And so time is something that we need to be very cautious about what we are spending our time on. Now, it is very important that we understand that and in, when, when you are spending time, that we are not wasting time, but that we are investing time. Give me the liberty tonight to talk to you a few moments about this because I do feel it is very, very important. The investment of time into our spiritual life is very, very important. The investment of time into Bible study, the investment of time into um, our families, our homes, um, the investment of time that we put into our occupation, the investment of time that we invest into our own personal health and well-being. That's also very important. And so it's okay if you say amen on a Wednesday night. And so the investment of time is very, very important. So, um, so that's the first thing that we must be very careful. You're never going to get back the time that you waste, the time that you lose. And so in everything we're doing, we need to be making good uh, account of our time. The second thing is money. Money is, is something that is very important. The Bible talks about money uh, in a subject. Jesus talked about money as much as he did anything else. And it's a subject that as ministers that has become faux pas over the last many years, uh, yet Jesus talked a lot about money, but the Bible says we're to be good stewards of what God has given us and blessed us with. And so money is something that we should be careful not to waste because you never really get it back. You can say, well, I'll get it back, but you never really do what you waste. You, you, may, you may regain the same dollar amount in your checking account, uh, but you never really get back what you waste. It's just like time. It's something that you, you, can't get, you can't get back. And so you have to be very careful with money, that our money is an investment that we, we, are, we are investing. When we, when we invest, whether we're investing in our family, uh, if I, I'll just throw some ideas out so you get the, 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 the gist of what I'm saying tonight. Uh, we invest, when we spend money, uh, to go on a family vacation, we are investing both in our families and we are investing in our own personal well-being, mentally, emotionally, uh, physically, getting rest. These are, these are important things, investing in our family, investing um, in the things of God. When we invest through our giving into the things of God, th this, is, this is a positive investment. We're ensuring that the church is going to move forward. We're ensuring that we're going to have a place to come and worship. And so our money is, a, is the second place that we should be careful not to waste and not to throw away. The third thing that 
uh, we don't hear talked a lot about. That is something that uh, along about time that I reached 40, I started recognizing that there started to be a shift in my energy. And by the time I hit 50, I certainly felt like that I was pulling around a lot of extra weight behind me because energy is something that becomes very, very important. So now I have to decide when I'm going to do certain things because of energy. Can I get a witness tonight? And so energy, where you spend your energy, where you put your efforts, where you put your, where you put all of these things are things that you will never get back. So we should be very careful what we focus on and put our energy in, what we want to be, what we want to be good at. You can, you can be a good basketball player, nothing wrong with playing basketball, good physical exercise, good recreation, a, a good thing for you to do, a good way to spend time with family and friends. So it's, it's a good thing, but be careful that we, that, that, we, uh, that we guard against spending too much energy on, on things that are frivolous, on things that, that uh, I, I know parents that, that they make sure that their kids go to every basketball camp, every, every basketball event, sign them up for every, uh, nothing wrong with being involved. But when it becomes a point that all of our energy, all of our energy goes into something, um, and I'm using basketball tonight just because it's, it's the point, whether um, no, nothing wrong with fishing. I enjoy fishing. I, I get to go a few times um, a, a year, maybe. Um, and, and, and nothing wrong with fishing, but nothing wrong with being a good fisherman. You, you can have big stories to tell. You can... You can talk about the one that got away. Nothing wrong with fishing, but nothing wrong with being a good fisherman. Nothing wrong with reading about it and studying about it from a recreational point of view. But if, if we start spending too much energy and too much, too, too, putting, putting all of our efforts into trying to be the world's greatest fisherman, this is what, this is what Solomon says. He says, most of what we spend our time on in life is vanity and leads to vexation of spirit. Meaning we, we, we chase, here's, here's what he, he puts it in this way. He talks about chasing after the wind. It's like chasing after the wind. What we're trying to, uh, to accomplish are things that we may never really accomplish. I didn't do the research on my own. My boys played played uh, little league baseball. Uh, I think I enjoyed it more than they did. Uh, Scott was their coach uh, one of the years and allowed me to wear the shirt and be on the field with my boys. And I have the pictures and I go back and remember those times and enjoyable times. Um, nothing nothing wrong with those things. And every every father and every kid sees himself as making it becoming the superstar, becoming, becoming something, uh, ma making it to the major leagues, and it, it starts being the conversations. And so somebody did the research for the number of kids that begin out pl 
play in Little League, move through all of the special uh, leagues, the farm leagues, and finally play in college and, and through school and through college and minor leagues and eventually make it to the major leagues, that the chances of you making it to the major leagues is it is a there is a greater chance that you win the lottery than your child makes it to the major leagues. Or let me give you another statistic. It is a greater chance that you get struck by lightning and live than your child make it to the major leagues. So this is my point. I'm not, I'm not against sports. I'm just trying to get our minds, stir up our pure minds tonight and get us thinking about how we are spending our energy, how we are directing our family, what we are doing, where we are putting our heart, our energy, our efforts, our money, our time. Because wherever we're, we're putting our time, our money, and our energy is speaking of where our heart really is. And here's what the Bible said. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, it says, there will your heart be also. So if you want to look to see where somebody's heart really is, look at where they are spending their time, their money, and their energy. Because this is the best summary that I have of their treasure. So when we talk about where's your heart? Where is your passion? What is it that you're really trying to accomplish? What is it that you're really trying to do? It usually becomes visible in these areas. And so if, if we could get every, every student, if they could learn at a young age, if every young couple that's here. By the way, the newlyweds are here tonight. <laughs> if we could get every young couple to just consider the thing that I just said to them, it could actually revolutionize their future, their finances, their emotional, mental, relational well-being. If we could just get this together and understand the importance, because there's some things we will never, ever get back. And where we place our heart, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be. And so we need to be careful. Some people say, well... I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to really put my heart into this. You will know if somebody is putting their heart into something because you will see it. It is a it is the the litmus test of of where they are really putting their heart will become visible in where they're spending their time, where they're spending their money and where they're putting their energy. If someone says, man, pastor, I would really, I would really like to do so-and-so, chances are there is a clear test before pastor ever says, you know, I think that would be a good thing for you to do. When I just look and watch, where are you spending your time, your money, 
and your energy? Is it focused in that direction? Because that's where your heart is. Now, how do you change where your heart is? How do you refocus your heart? It is by refocusing your treasure. Someone says, well, I guarantee you, if they have their heart in it, they'll finally put their time in it. So if they can just get their heart there, they'll get their time there. That's not what the Bible says. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So the idea, here's the idea of this instruction. The idea is put your treasure there and watch your heart get involved. No matter what it is, you want to, I've had people tell me before, well, I don't feel very connected to the church. Where do you spend your time? Where do you put your money? Where do you put your energy? Because if you put your time, your money, and your, and your energy, your treasure into the house of God, you will all of a sudden take an ownership in your heart. You will begin to love it. You'll begin to love the house of God, love the people of God, love to be involved in what is going on. It, it's, it, it, is, it is as clear, it is as clear as it can be. When, when you find, when, when, you, when you watch somebody's life, if you want to know where their heart is, look at where they spend their time, their money, and their energy. It's the best summary of their treasure. Everybody, everybody likes a story of an individual finding treasure. We, we all do. When I was a kid, I, I loved the idea of finding treasure. We had a train track behind our house. I used to go out, walk the train track, didn't know it was illegal, but I picked up all the steel that I could find, and I'd try to, I didn't know I was stealing. And I walked the train track, and I would look at things. I'd pick up all the Every time I'd see a railroad spike, I'd pick it up, and occasionally I'd see those cross-tie plates, and they were heavy. I'd pick them up, tuck them under my arm, take them with me, because it was a treasure. I'd take them back to the house, try to build things out of them. And, you know, I always would hear of people searching for gold and buried money and always dreamed of finding it. And, you know, there would be a tree in my backyard, and I'd go dig around it thinking that whoever lived there before us Maybe buried treasure. Little did I know my parents built the house. And before that, it was just a swamp. So, But me and my friends, we would search for treasure because everybody loves the story of treasure. Brother, Brother Mike's talked to me. Uh, Brother Mike Johnson's talked to me. He, he loves to, to do some treasure hunting. And I've got a location I've told him about. I have it. He and I have not found the time yet to get out, but we've talked about the possibility of going out and letting him do some, do some treasure hunting. And uh, it's an old abandoned homestead, and I'm sure there's probably some interesting things to find around the homestead, whether it's treasure or not, who knows. But we all love the stories. When, when Annette and I bought our first home and started remodeling it, during the remodel, as I began to take the walls take plaster off the walls and open up, I began to find newspapers that they were using for some form of insulation, evidently. And some of these newspapers were still legible, still readable. You could, you, and we would take them out. And I, 
I found pieces of newspapers from the 1890s that were in, in my wall. Books. There were books, and I, I don't know why there were books in my walls, but they had books in my walls. And, and some of them I think they may have had stored in the attic, and they fell down into the hollow walls. And I found books, and some of these books had been out of print for over a hundred years. I gathered some of them up. Some of them were kind of neat looking, and uh, some of them I had ran saws through because I didn't know they were there, and I had ruined them. But everybody loves treasure. We'd get them out, look at them, look through them, and I throw them in a box somewhere. I don't know. They may have. They may still be stored somewhere. Um, everybody loves finding treasure. Um, you know, the, I, I start cleaning out my basement and run across things that I, that I put away about 10 years ago and forgot where I put them. And I find them, oh yeah, this is what it is. It maybe, maybe isn't anything that great, but it's something that I had stored and I wanted to remember where it was. And so I kept it for 10 years so I can throw it away 10 years later. My wife, when she starts cleaning out things like that, she's very thorough in her cleaning, and she'll go deep into it, and she's cleaning out the boxes. She doesn't just clean off the shelves. She goes through the boxes and sorts through, and, and she will get into keepsakes from the kids and keepsakes from her grandparents, and she pulls it out and looks at it and tells stories about it, takes pictures, gets on the phone, talks to her mom, tells everybody about it, and we'll spend two or three days trying to get it through about two boxes. And then she loses interest and the basement doesn't get finished clean. There's a story in 2 Kings. Now, I told you I'm not going to read it to you, so I'm just going to relay the story to you. And you can read about this story. There's a story in 2 Kings where the book of law or the, the word of God, it was the Bible, the book of law, the Old Testament, the Torah. The book of law was found during Josiah's renovation of the temple. Now this story is about as good as it gets when you begin to talk about finding treasure because the word of God is priceless. But the frightening thing about the book that was found is that they found the book while they were going through renovations. It was the book of law that was found in the temple that had been lost. Did you get that? It's the temple. The primary purpose of gathering in the temple was to come so that the priest, the high priest, would take the book of law, the word of God, would open it and would read the book of law would read it out loud and would explain it to the people. He was a preacher, in other words. And he had the book that he would open and would read the book and would talk about what, the, what, what he just read would mean to the people. But for about 30 kings prior to Josiah's reign, when Josiah the king came in, he says the temple is falling down. The rooms are cluttered. The building's falling down. The roof's leaking. The place is in terrible ill repair. The condition of the temple 
It needs to be updated. So he called the people together. And the Bible said, for the people had a mind to work. He calls the people together. And he calls the builders and the masons and the construction crews and he gets them together and he says, hey, we're going to renovate the temple. We're going to bring this thing up to date. Because he felt that it was important that the house of worship was not in ill repair. So they began to do some remodeling. And in the middle of remodeling and cleaning out, they were going to the rooms and the, the hallways and the, and the closets. I, I don't know, I, I've, I've traveled as an evangelist some, and I always could tell about the heart and, and the condition of the church just by doing a quick walkthrough of the building. How is that, Pastor? Because I, I would go and see rooms that they were just cluttered and, and, and stuff was stacked and stored and you would see classrooms that were not put in use and, and things were in just disarray and ill repair and no, there was no, there was no, uh, no heart put into the, the building and you could just pretty much know how people are going to address the church service. Because if that's how they feel about the house of worship, then that's going to, how, going to be how they feel about worship. And so during Josiah's reign, Josiah said, no, listen, for about 30 kings prior to me, they've let this place go down, but we're going to bring this place up because Josiah knew something. If I can get people working on this thing, spending their time, spending their energy, and spending their money working on the house of the Lord, working on the temple, then we're going to get some heart back in this temple and we might be able to restore worship again. And so while they are working, they ran across a book. Wow, here's a book. Do we throw it away or do we keep it? Somebody says, no, 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 no. Don't throw that away. We've lost that book. We've been looking for that book for years. The very purpose of the temple, of worship in the temple and gathering in the temple, the very purpose was the book. The very purpose was the book. But the book had been lost, so now they were just going through a routine. Now the temple was just a place of gathering. Now the temple is just a place where they came together for generations. Who knows how long the book had been lost? Nobody does. All we know is somewhere through, through, that, through that time of one of the kings, somebody said, ah, you know what? That book's not all that important. I heard a very prominent public preacher a, a, a week or so ago. I was listening online and caught him preaching. And he was preaching what they were calling an old-fashioned tent meeting. And the purpose, as I gather, the purpose of the, of the tent meeting was to try to bring back some of the old-time worship. And, and there was a lot of talk about that. And they sang some songs that were, that were 
kind of retrofitted to the 1980s or 90s and early 2000s. And, and this preacher got up and in his preaching, all of a sudden, I don't know what came over him, but he began to say things like, we need to let some of this doctrine preaching go. He started saying things like, doctrine doesn't matter. He said, some of you are fighting over these things in Scripture. You need to just let it go and everybody just get along. And all of a sudden, I realized what that kind of preaching does. That kind of preaching says this book is not important. So what's important is that the preacher's smooth and he can tell a good story and he can entertain a crowd. But getting into the Word of God and seeing what this book says that we need to do in trying times doesn't really matter. Seeing what the Word of God says about salvation doesn't really matter. So we start finding easier ways. And so just like preceding Josiah's day, they started building golden calves to worship. They started trying to find all sorts. They started building. They started doing anything they could to make it easier on the people. Anybody with me tonight? I know you're tired and weary tonight, but I need a little amen once in a while. Josiah says, Go back and get that book that they found and bring it to me because what we've got to do is we've got to restore the book back in the temple as we are restoring the temple. We not only have to restore the condition of the building, but as we're restoring the condition of the building, the hearts of the people are going to fall in love with the temple again, but we're not just going to let them fall in love with the grandeur of the temple, but we've got to bring the book back because they've got to also fall in love with the book once again. Because for generations it's been lost. I come right now to tell somebody on this Wednesday night, and I know I'm teaching, but I feel like preaching right about now. What America needs is to fall in love with this book that we founded a nation on. We fall in love with this book. All of the problems in society will begin to go, will begin to disappear. But the issue is, is America has lost their love for the book. Now the church isn't important. And that's why mainstream denominations are folding up, closing, and selling their buildings left and right. Even right here in this town that we're in over the last couple of years, we have seen churches beginning to close and fold and, and denominational churches saying, well, we're going to move to more of a regional church and we're going to close down all the churches in small towns and they're going to have to go. Listen, it is, it is a sign of where we are in America, but I didn't come tonight to talk to America. I came tonight. My platform's way too small for that. I know I may be live on the web and there may be a handful of people watching but I can come and talk to a group of people that showed up on a Wednesday night and tell you we've got to put our time, our energy, and our effort into studying this book, into seeking the God of heaven, into worshiping in his house. That whole story of the lost and found book is puzzling to me because it was the purpose and it was lost right in the house, right under their nose, because somebody quit paying attention. 
Some teacher said, let's have cake and punch, but let's not worry about what we're teaching the kids. Somebody said, let's open common grounds and enjoy some fellowship, but let's not worry about having a move of the Holy Ghost. Some preacher said, ah, I'm going to tell a pretty little story and touch the emotions of people, but we're not going to talk about Jesus. What happened here is something that is so very important. How did they recover? How did the hearts of the people, how were their hearts recovered? First off, Josiah was doing. 2 Kings 22 and 2 said, and he did that. Everybody say he did. He did that. He was doing. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did. He didn't just say, I believe what's right in the sight of the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm teaching better than you're getting it tonight. I, I know you're weary and tired tonight, but i got to come and tell you that it's more than us just saying, well, hey, I agree with the preacher, I agree with the word, but we've got to start being a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. We can hear it and not do it, and it isn't going to do much for us. But when we hear it and do it, then it'll change your destiny. Josiah was doing, he was working. People in Josiah's day didn't just happen upon the book of law. They were renovating the, the temple. They, their labor positioned them to find the book. Did you get that? Their labor positioned them. You want to be used of God? Your labor in the house of God will position you for God to be able to use you. When the church begins to work together, somebody says, I don't understand why we do this or why we do that. Sometimes the church needs to just get together and work on a project. Next week when we're coming together for prayer, not everybody's going to be able to go out. Not everybody can go door to door. Not everybody's going to be able to go to Walmart or go to a parking lot. Not everybody has the energy and the strength to do it. So those that can't do that, we're going to be right here. We're going to take about 15 minutes and we're going to give instruction on how to pray, the kind of prayer we're going to pray that night. And then we're going to pray for those that need to be right here. And then for those that want to go out, there's going to be groups. Brother Dylan, Sister Kayla are going to be working together with their team and they're going to be taking groups out in different areas and different neighborhoods. And they're going to be going around. They're going to be inviting people and telling them, hey, you got to come Sunday, you got to come Sunday. They're going to be doing evangelism. It's, and everybody says, oh, that's good, that's good. But there's more to it than just it being a good thing that we're doing and us just coming together. But when people start putting time and energy and spending some finances to make this thing happen, you know what happens? Our heart starts getting in it. And all of a sudden, when somebody comes to the altar, we feel like, hey, I'm part of that. I'm part of that. People that are willing to work are people that tr prove that they truly care. The, re the revelation in our labor may be the discovery of what we've lost. And the blessing of our labor may be the recovery of what we have once embraced and cherished, but over time it is devalued. I've seen people be faithful to the house of God. And call and say, well, my son got offended and so I'm not going to be at church very much. 
Listen, we've got people lost and going out into eternity without God, and we're worried about if we got our toenails stepped on in church. We're worried about whether, whether you know, we, we only had four people speak to me on Sunday night. Big deal. Show yourself friendly anyway next week. They maybe didn't intentionally not speak to you. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what trouble they have. You don't know what, you know what they're facing. Well, you know, I, I had a flat tire this morning on my car, and just nobody came and comforted me. Well, they might have got a diagnosis of diabetes. You don't know what they're going through. And so we got to give a little room and put a little heart into it and say, you know what, I'm not coming here. It's wonderful. Our fellowship is good. We need fellowship. We need more fellowship. But if I come and get up here and preach and go home and nobody comes shakes my hand and says, Pastor, good job, guess what? I'm going to be right back here Sunday with his book in my hand because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to preach this word. If it's not tasteful, I'll come back and try to do a better job Sunday. I'm not going to get it right every time. I'm not going to tickle your fancy every time. Sometimes it's going to be, well, I think he did all right. My goodness, I love Jamie, but the first time she came, she looked at me and said, I have no idea what you just said. I thought I preached pretty good, but she didn't know what I said. And it challenged me. And I said, you know what? I'm preaching right over the top of anybody's head that hadn't been in church about 20 years. i got to get this thing down to where people can understand what I'm saying. And it actually caused me to dig a little deeper in this word and my presentation to say, hey, i got to make sure when I preach that that third grader understands me and that new convert understands me. Our prayer, our fasting, all of these things help us discover not only some things about us, but it helps us discover some things that we once held dear in our heart that maybe we have let slip and let the passions of the world begin to rule and reign. We've got to get prayer back into not only, not only, you know, oh, my pastor's calling for special prayer. We've got to get prayer back into our homes. We've got to get Bible reading into our life every day. Not just Bible reading. We've got to get Bible study where we're saying, hey, I want to know what this is talking about. I don't want to just read through. I would rather somebody sit down and study the Word for 30 minutes and sit down and read through a bunch of baguettes that you don't know anything about. Next week's going to be costly to us. We're going to add Monday night prayer meeting in. We're going to gather on Saturday evening. It's going to cost us a little extra time and a little extra energy and a little extra money and gas to get here. But guess what? Come Sunday, what's going to happen? We're going to discover some things that maybe, maybe we've let slip. And when we gain ground, we need to be careful to not give back what we have gained. If we're not careful, our lives 
will become much like the lives of those in Josiah's day where we start caring too much about our life and what's comfortable for me and what fits me and what fits my schedule. You know what they say? I appreciate you for being here on this Wednesday night. I didn't say this. I read it somewhere, thought it was funny. Really, it was written, I think, as humor. But some of the best humor has a lot of truth in it. Wake up your neighbor and tell him, Pastor's about to say something. They said if they come to church on Sunday morning, they love the pastor. They come to church on Sunday night, they love the church. They come to church on Wednesday night, they love God. Josiah cared about the house of the Lord. He looked at the Lord's house and said it was a disgrace. He decided it was time to do some repairs. He was seeking to honor God by repairing the temple. Friends, if we're going to see the kind of revival that God has promised us and that God has spoke over this church, I know we're doing good. I think we've baptized somewhere close to around 35 this year, and I think we set a miracle goal of about 50. We're on target. We could do that in the next few weeks. I, I don't think many of you were there, but I know a handful of people went, went to Mark Conference, and I don't know if you were there on Friday night. My wife and I were there on Friday night when we were challenged to ask God for some, raise our elevation of faith and begin to ask God for things that are bigger. Maybe me asking God for 50 was because I thought if we work real hard, we can do it, but maybe we need to elevate that faith and start believing God for a bigger number than just what seems like we may be able to do if we work real hard. Maybe we need to start praying for a 200 or 300 soul revival right here in this church. We need to elevate our faith. And somebody says, oh boy, well that could happen. It can if we put our energy and our efforts and our time and our money and our heart in it. I got to hurry. Something I've learned over time, people who work in the kingdom of God develop an appreciation for the things of God. When we were working on this building, people fell in love with it. Brother Danny and some others have helped him, but Brother Danny's done a lot of the painting. And every time he sees a kid come by and they've got a car or something, they're running down, or you'll see somebody backed up to one of the sidewalls and they got their foot up on the sidewall, he just looks at me and goes, I know what that means. He's like, you know how hard these walls are? They're 18 feet tall. And it's real hard to get this kind of paint with these lights shining down the walls to, to blend in. And so when he starts painting, he ends up feeling like he's got to paint all the way to the ceiling and corner to corner. You can't spot paint it. It shows up every time he tries to spot paint. And so he's like, mm -hmm. and I tell him, we're just buy some paint and paint it again. You know what that is? He isn't really angry about it. He's just like, man, I got some heart in this thing. We've got some blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Those that put energy and effort into building it. I was just laughing at one of my friends the other day, Brother Maroney in Evansville. He's getting ready to have his building dedication this, this coming Friday, as a matter of fact. They're having services in their building they're trying to finish up the details right at the end. 
he was just venting to me on on, on last Friday night after service, we went to get a bite to eat. He was venting to me. And he said, man, you know what just frustrates me? He said, we've been just killing ourselves working, working day and night. People getting off from work, coming, working to nearly midnight, going home, trying to meet the deadlines. And he said, people that doesn't come to work night at all, he said, they come in on Sunday and say, is there going to be a cross put up there? Because there needs to be a cross put up there. He said, I haven't seen them. He said, they haven't shown up, but boy, they sure got ideas. And I just laughed, patted him on the shoulder, and I said, we all go through it. But listen, there is some people in your church. I tried to encourage him. I said, there's some people in your church that are falling in love with that building, and they're falling in love with God as a product, and they're falling in love with you as their pastor as a product because you're working together, you're laboring together. Come on, it doesn't matter what we do. If it's a small group, if it's mowing the grass, if it's doing an outreach, if it's doing... Come on, we just need to get busy in the house of God, working in the house of God, and understanding that we are laborers together. I got to get wrapped up here. People who work in the kingdom of God develop a heart for the things of God because when you put treasure in it, watch out, your heart's on the way. Somebody said, well, I never intended for my heart to be involved. If you put your treasure in it, your heart's going to get involved. Guaranteed. Let me just be real honest with you. When my wife and I married 31 years ago and I came to Frankfurt and I drove through this town, I didn't love it. And the first winter, the first winter, the winter of 91, does anybody remember February 14th of 91? We had no power for seven days. Oh, I'm sorry. You're about to get upset. The ice storm. I called home to my mama. I said, this is a God-forsaken place. She said, baby, just come on home. I knew you weren't going to love it. But somewhere in the process, whether it was working in a Christian school, whether it was teaching a Bible study, whether it was preaching a sermon, whether it was going on some group somewhere, laboring somewhere, working, I don't know where it was, but somewhere along the way, as I began to put some treasure in it, before long, I started loving the house of God, and I started loving the people of God, and I started loving the city that God called me to, and before long, I get bristled up a little bit when people start talking about the place that I love. Get me wrong, Florida still looks good in January. But when you put some treasure in it, your heart will follow. I've got to hurry. Be careful what you treasure because your heart will end up in the wrong place. Don't treasure position. Don't, don't treasure social status and don't let social media deal with your heart. Don't, don't get all, well, I got so many likes and so many shares and oh boy. Listen, that's, that's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Josiah was willing to do what God asked of him. First of all, Josiah repented for the 
whole nation. He didn't just rebuild the temple. He repented for the whole nation. He was willing to follow after the Lord. We don't always get it right. Sometimes people really do get offended. Sometimes people do really say silly things. Friday night we were walking out of the building. A man well-meaning who happened to lose his wife to cancer some time back stopped me on the way out. My wife in tow and he looks at me and he made a statement to me and began to ask me about my wife and I said, well, and I turned and looked at her and said, well, she's doing good. And he began to share the sad story that is his story of what he went through. He was well-meaning, but it was hurtful. And my wife kind of grabbed me by the hand and we never talked about it. And I hope she's not even listening right now because it was kind of hurtful just the, the way he went about it and the lack of faith that was involved in the words that he spoke. And my wife just grabbed me by the hand and said, we need to go because she needed away from that setting. And I knew that. And I was trying to be kind and walk away swiftly at the same time. I didn't need to hear, my wife didn't need to hear the story of ending in tragedy. And, and he was well-meaning, but he couldn't. And I thought a weaker individual would have just got offended. But she's a strong individual. And she didn't even mention it. And she hasn't mentioned it to me to this moment. But I knew what it meant when she grabbed me by my hand and said we needed to go. I, I just knew it was unspoken words that I knew what it meant. Sometimes people really do get hurt. It may not even be intentional. There's sometimes when I'm dealing with people who have left the church, backsliders, and, and, they, and then I find out what's going on. I go to them and repent. When I find out it was over things, somebody contacted me a few weeks ago. They contacted me and said, Brother Jordan, I need you to forgive me. I said, I plan on coming back to church. I need to get my life back straight. I've been harboring feelings in my heart for about six or eight years against you. I said, my goodness, I considered you a friend. I had no earthly idea you had feelings against me. What in the world did I do? Let me make it right. They said, well, I can't really pin down. I don't know. I just got upset at you. Your guess is as good as mine. All I know is, is I started repenting. I'm very sorry. Whatever it was, if it comes to your mind and you know, I'm very sorry. I never intended to offend you. If I ignored you, if I was too busy, if I said something that offended you, I never apologized for preaching the word of God. But if my presentation wasn't right, if my spirit wasn't right, I don't mean to offend. I started repenting. I said, if it wasn't just me, if it was other people, let me repent for a whole church. We've got a church full of good people that love you and love your family. You need to get back in the house of the Lord. That's what Josiah did. It he repented for some things that he didn't even do. You know what you need to do the next time that somebody that's living with a spirit of offense starts to run down your church or somebody in your church or the leadership of your church? You need to say, man, I'm sorry. I repent for that. I, that's not what I know of them. That's not what I know of our church. That's the, what, not what I know of our, I apologize for that. I believe they meant well. Is there something I can do? Is there a way I can bridge the gap? Can I bring it back together? Josiah repented when it wasn't even his duty to repent. But Josiah repented. God has always worked through willing people 
that had a soft heart and was willing to repent. I've got I've to get to a close. How willing are you to say yes to the right things to ensure that your heart follows? When God called Samuel, he said, yes, here am I. God didn't say, Samuel, is your heart with me? He says, Samuel, I need you with me. Jonah paid the price of his lack of willingness. When God told Jonah what he wanted him to do, he jumped in a boat and took off the other way. When God called Saul, he said yes to the Lord and his his blinding light experience ended up changing not only his life but changing the world. This kind of willingness is what God is looking for from his people. My question for you tonight is what are you putting your energy, your time, and your efforts in? What are you investing in? Are you teaching Bible studies? Are you doing, are you doing personal evangelism? Are you reaching out to people? Are you loving people? Are you serving in the kingdom of God? Are you involved in the things around the church? Are you making it a priority? Are you looking for a reason to be here or a, an excuse to leave? Pastor, just not feeling good. Just going to stay home tonight. Next week it's easier to do that. The next week even easier. I understand people are sick. My wife's sick tonight. Would not be in her best interest nor yours for her to be here. There's people that are sick, can't be here. I get that. That's not what I'm preaching to tonight. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just looking for excuses and leaving. Or is your heart engaged? Do you ensure... You want to ensure your heart stays engaged? Get connected. Be faithful in your attendance. Be faithful in your tithing. Be faithful in the work of the Lord. Show up to work days. Be involved. Find something to do. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. I wonder tonight if some of you feel that you maybe have lost some things along the way. Maybe some things have drifted. Maybe it's not the book of law that's lost in your life. Maybe it's not the word of God that's lost in your life, but some of your passions lost. I understand how easy it is to become distracted. My wife, when they found it, gave her the diagnosis Almost 16 months ago, she looked at me and said, my greatest fear is that I become a distraction to you or to the church. During this time, it's been some of the most trying of our lives. People have impressed us in how they have given and reached. This church has loved us, prayed for us. And there's been those that right in the middle of some of the most difficult days, have said not important. Boy, 
walked away. Pain, anguish. The valuable lesson that we've had to learn is in the middle of such a health crisis is what my wife has gone through. Regardless of how much life can really, the attention can get, can get pulled aside, we have to be very proactive in saying we've got we've to we've pull ourselves together. We've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and come to the house of God. When we get here, we can't talk about how we feel. We've got to get here and talk about how great God is. Because the treasure is much greater than anything that's going on in my personal life. The things of this world will never replace what you're going to find when your heart is baptized in the things of God. The real treasure, it was in the temple all along. I conclude with that point tonight that whatever you're looking for, you're going to find within the four walls of this church right here. You don't have to look outside. Everything you need, God's here. Friendship is here. Fellowship is here. Whatever you need, God's providing within the four walls of the church. He says it's here. It's here for you. What they were looking for, it was there all along. Stand with me all over the room. But in order to get it, we got some work to do. Can you ensure tonight that your heart is leaning in the right direction because you're positioning your treasure to where your heart will follow? I open the altars. I know it's late. If you need to go, I understand. If you want to just come forward and talk to the Lord for a minute about your, about your heart, this is just a heart prayer. I'm not going to hold you long, but if you want to come tonight, we need to search our hearts and ask God, show us things that we've lost along the way. Show us some things that we have positioned ourselves in the wrong, and just we've just gotten ourselves out of sorts. We're leaning the wrong direction. Long before Lot's tragedy in his life, he was leaning the wrong direction. Pour your heart to him tonight. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment. 